All right, Matt, back with another episode. We're on episode 30 now. Get a lot of these. We're going to have like, I mean, last year we were already, what, in the top 10% of Spotify sports like creators. We don't even get, I mean, audience <laughs> isn't huge, but like, imagine, you know, I feel like there's potential for us out there. Anyway, um, Got a lot to talk about. It was kind of a busy week, actually, for being the middle of March. So start off with football free agency stuff, because I know you've been dying to talk about this. Cowboys are actually pretty active ever since I kind of made fun of Jerry a little bit. So you're welcome. I think I jinxed it for you because now he's been pretty active in free agency. Um, We can just get right to it. I know there's... A certain someone you you're particularly <laughs> excited about. Yes, back. I am. So, Matt, how how are you feeling about the Cowboys since I kind of teased you about them being inactive? Well, since you teased me, I think it's been probably the best off season since I've been alive. I don't know since we've been born. That's how long it's been, actually. Yeah, you're right. It is since we've been born because Dion was before we were born. That was in the 1990s. So <laughs> it's been a while. But, you know, Greg, I think we all know why we're doing this pod, especially leading up with the Dallas Cowboys. So there are a lot of signings and we'll get into them. But there is one, one that made this offseason the best it's ever been. Cooper Rush is back officially. I am so excited. I thought he was going to leave because he could have been a starter somewhere else. But the GOAT is back in the saddle for another two years. And hey, not bad. $6 million contract potentially. I'll take that. And this is someone who has starting quarterback potential who's going to push Dak Prescott, hopefully out of QB1, onto QB2 on the bench. And Cooper Rush will be the greatest story ever because he's going to lead his team to the Super Bowl this year with the acquisitions that Jerry has made this year. We already talked about Stephon Gilmore. Obviously, we lost Zeke, but we can touch on that in a little bit. But he gets some help with a wide receiver addition. So Cooper Rush has another weapon on the outside. I mean, I, I'm liking what I'm seeing from this Cowboy team, but it all starts with Cooper Rush. He is the man. He's the heart and soul of this team, in my opinion. I know you may disagree, but I'll tell you, Cowboy Nation. Heart and they know soul. Heart and soul. Cooper Rush is the heart and soul of this team. Whatever because should, should i should i keep talking about cooper rush it seems like you know i mean it's, you kind of seem you, you seem very your, very this troubled is your but... time this is your time if you want to spend it all on cooper rush go for it well you know i really could spend two hours talking about cooper rush but i don't think the viewers out there would really appreciate that so 
we'll keep this short. But Cooper Rush, honestly, to have a backup quarterback that's starting caliber, it's huge. We already saw the impact that backups can have. And you just look at a team that made the NFC Championship game last year in the 49ers. They're a team that starter went out. Jimmy G comes in as a backup. He does well. He gets hurt. Let me throw in another backup. Oh, he just so happens to be Mr. Irrelevant. But now he's probably going to be quarterback one going into this next season for them. So the importance of having a backup quarterback, being able to kind of stabilize the the boom, I guess, or you know, stop the bleeding in a worst case scenario. It's important for contenders and we are a contender. That is for sure. We are win we have a win now roster. But you have to look at things in the perspective of if Dak Prescott, sadly, gets hurt, gets benched for poor play. We have a guy that you can throw in there. He knows the offense, knows the system, knows the receivers, knows the line, knows the schemes. And you can plug him in and you can win, obviously, as we saw, multiple games to keep a season alive, to save a season, and maybe go on a run. But to have that stability, it's something that I think every team should be trying to sh you know, shoot for, having a quality backup. And we can talk about this later. Your guy, Marcus Mariota, I think that's a good pickup for the Eagles. Was a very your guy. smart. He, not yeah, he, he was my guy. He's the enemy. I'm sorry, but I will not be cheering for him next year. Like Micah Parsons, go get him. Go get him. But that's an important signing for the Eagles because it's got to have stability. And I think Cooper Rush, in all seriousness, is seriousness. He brings that stability to this team. That's why he's the heart and soul of the team, Greg. He's the heart and soul of the team. And he pushes the starting quarterback to play better. Okay, we don't see. want Dak Prescott to be, you know, complacent. So, oh, I'm the guy. Like, no, he has competition. So you mean heart and soul, not as in maybe the face of the franchise, but more he is the main supply of... I don't even know where I'm going with it. Like, he's the hidden thing that keeps the blood <laughs> pumping. I don't even know we're, what you're trying to get at. I, we're not the Dallas Cowboys without Cooper Rush. Like, Micah Parsons, to me, is... It's his team. He's the face of the team. He's the poster child. But we don't do anything without Cooper Rush. And he backed it up last season when he went 4-1 and one as a starter. Beat Kirk Cousins two years ago. On Halloween night, Sunday night football with a game-winning touchdown drive to Amari Cooper. But hey, we lost Amari Cooper. Now we got Brandon Cooks. Maybe he'll be throwing a Brandon Cooks for the game-winning touchdowns this year. But Cooper Rush is important to this team, and we got him back. Cooper Rush I was is not definitely expect... important. The best point you've made so far is the importance Every of point. the backup. <laughs> the importance of the backup quarterback now in the league, like we saw last season, I believe. It at least it came out to an average of about two quarterbacks per team played uh in the seat or during the regular season. So yeah, backups important, especially with you know 18 games now or 18 weeks, I should say. And you know, um guys go down with injuries more, it seems like more now than ever before, which is weird because 
you know, the sports health and technology should be getting better, but quarterbacks are still getting hurt. So the backup quarterback now more than ever in these tight divisions, you know, when you need someone to win you one or two games during the regular season, those games count. And yeah, like you said, having a backup quarterback, very important. So I will agree with you there. Heart and soul, Matt, that's kind of stretching it. But if you why is that that stretching it? Because you're implying that the team couldn't run without Cooper Rush at all. But we were the we were best when he was the quarterback. Like everything just just was perfect, you know. I maybe we're not the highest scoring offense, but what do we care about? What do what should everybody care about? It's wins and losses. And as a quarterback, if you have a good win loss record, why would you complain about that? And on a bonus, he doesn't really turn the ball over as much. But hmm, I know a guy on my team that missed five games and led the league in interceptions and turnovers. Okay, that's fair. I like brain then, or like nervous system. Maybe nervous system is a better one. Heart and soul. Come on. He's anyway, the heart and soul. I'm done talking about Cooper Rush. We're moving on. Wait, well, I wasn't done yet, though. I wasn't done yet. Okay. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. I, you I know could go. I, I could. I could go on and I'm on cutting, about Cooper Rush. I'm cutting you we off could, from Cooper Rush we, until um, <laughs> training camp begins. No more Cooper Rush talk. Well, well training camp. We got the draft so, coming up soon. I know. I said what I said. So, like you said earlier, rest of your additions and subtractions. Zeke is gone. Kind of a end of an era moment there. Bittersweet. Probably needed to happen for the betterment of your team. But you had some good years with Zeke and good years to look back on. But, you know, how are you feeling about that one? I mean, you kind of touched on it. It's a it's a bittersweet move because he's outside of Cooper Rush. You could say he is maybe, you know, a heart or a soul of this team. Like, definitely a locker room guy, a leader on the team for the past few years you know he really did step into that role though yeah he really did and it's it's important to have guys like him zach martin you know guys that just bring the team together and you know that's definitely going to be missed and we're going to need other guys to to step up and fill that void but as far as production yeah it's hard to really justify why we would keep him because the contract is bad, and two, the the film doesn't really lie at this point, especially with the position that he plays, because the older you get as a running back, especially, you're always gonna be at a decline. That's like the one position wear and tear. You you don't age well like quarterbacks. You don't age well like offensive linemen. It's just not a position of, you know, nutrition, I guess. Um, but yeah, we, we had to do this. I agree with Jerry. I, I'm glad that he did do it. It is the smart decision, but I am, I am going to miss him because he honestly was my favorite player in that era, you know, of the seven years that he was on the team was probably my favorite player. Yeah. And I, I can't do this anymore. I I can't do that anymore, but luckily we have, we have Cooper Rush. So that kind of makes it a little easier to swallow but 
Yeah, definitely going to miss him. But I am excited because this means Tony Pollard, as of now, we're going to unleash him. I, and the, the reports that I'm hearing, you know, he should be okay by training camp. I think he kind of avoided the serious injury and he's on a franchise tag. I think if we don't sign him by the time it's July, which is the, the deadline for a long-term extension, this is going to be his last year. So as a as a coach or as a business, you know, as a GM, I'm I honestly I'm going to run Tony Pollard into the ground cuz if if this is going to be his last year, I'm giving him 25 touches a game. 15 to 20 carries, you know, at least 5 catches out of the backfield. So I'm excited to see what he can do being a lead back because you know, in the games that Zeke missed, we, I mean, he kind of put on a show, let's be real. So I think this is great for the team. You can get a number two back to me. And what's interesting is today they reported that Ronald Jones, uh, the former Tampa Bay Buccaneer, played with the Chiefs last year. Now he's coming in for a visit. So he could potentially be a backup to, to Pollard. I think that would be a nice piece. Um, probably... Still thinking that they should get a running back in the draft. Maybe not in the first round, but, you know, in the third, fourth, fifth round. Draft pick would be nice. But, yeah, back to Zeke. It's a, it was the right move. And I, I'm, I was ready to move on, honestly, like two years ago. So I wasn't really bawling my eyes out when I heard this, this news break. Definitely, though, Hall of Fame running back for sure. He's definitely, I would say, at least in the Dallas Hall of Fame of running Hall backs. Of fame running back. Got it. Yeah, look at the numbers that he has. He's he's solid. If he continues to play too, which I think he'll he'll get an option too somewhere. But he's put up some numbers and he's made a case strong enough to to have a Hall of Fame Hall of Fame ballot potentially. We'll see. But as far as Dallas running enough, backs, but... he's got to be top top three at least, at least. But I'm definitely gonna miss him. He was he was my guy. I can't feed Zeke anymore. That's true. That that'll be a big hole, at least for the popularity of a player like that. But Dallas should be fine. I think they'll be better with the roster they have moving forward. And like you said, you touched on Brandon Cooks. I think that's. To me, actually, that's my favorite pickup for you guys, it's even more than Stefan Gilmore and obviously re-signed Cooper Rush. But, you know, Brandon Cooks, I think he still has the speed. I, it just it, people don't really talk about it. Um, he's just kind of one of those. I still think he's underrated for what he brings to the table. Might not have the same speed as he once did, you know, down in New Orleans, but he's still a guy that can stretch the field vertically. He's a threat that opposing defenses can't just ignore. You know, he he could be a number one receiver on some teams, maybe not uh some of the top top tier teams, but solid number two, I think, to have behind CD Lamb. And really excited to see what he will bring to that offense because just a vertical threat now can can open up so much more for for your offense. So I really like that move, Jerry. I got to give you props after I said you haven't been doing anything. You proved me wrong, proved all of the Cowboys Nation 
wrong for kind of bashing on you the past couple of years. So I'm excited. I, I think you guys have a really good team. And uh, we'll, yeah, we'll see how it goes from there. But I think the one thing on the Brandon Cooks trade that was really, really good for the Dallas is they only gave up a fifth and a sixth round pick next year. So Jerry was able to be aggressive, get, you can say, Gilmore and Brandon Cooks via trade, two quality starting players that can produce at a high level, I think. But you give up two compensatory picks, so it's really, you didn't even have those picks. And a 2024 six-round pick, really not going to sweat a lot over that. So in this year's draft, they have one pick in each round. They have their picks. So they they kept the future intact, but they're also building for the win-now um, season run this year. So very, very good move. I would say the only thing, if I was being really, really greedy, greedy was if we could have pulled off a, a D-hop trade instead of Brandon Cooks. But I'm not going to sweat about that because Jerry just did something, and I, I'll I'll take it. Because Brandon Cooks, when he's on the field, dude, dude is the playmaker, and you touched on it. We haven't had a vertical threat since oh, it's been so long, honestly. You could maybe say a prime young Des Bryant for a guy who could just run by you. Like we have guys that Avon can get underneath. Austin. All right, I, no, sorry, yeah, Miles, he wasn't even um, Austin. Miles Austin. Miles Austin. Miles Austin. Wrong guy. But even Miles Austin, he wasn't really a like a, a burner. You know, he wasn't like a Tyreek Hill kind of player. Like Brandon Cooks had, or at least he used to have that speed. Still has top speed. Maybe not Tyreek Hill or once what he was in his prime. But he's twenty nine. We got him for this year and next year. Good. Good, good signing. And we got Gil Gilly this year. So I'm excited. I'm excited. Very successful offseason. And now it's on to the draft for the boys. Yeah, we'll get to the draft stuff later. We'll have plenty of time to talk about that come next month. So I don't want to talk about too much of the draft stuff. But yeah, I like your team now. I think uh, so far in the offseason, did what you guys needed to do. Brought back Tony. Got some, you know, veteran veteran players at key positions that you were lacking a little bit. So really good off season. We'll see how they can put it all together, but that's enough talking the Cowboys, Matt. I know you can talk forever. We haven't talked about them for a while. So I hope you got it all out because now we have to actually move on to other topics, believe it or not. So let's get to the other free agent what? signings, run through some of these really quickly. Um, We'll start with Aaron Rodgers. So sounds like he does want to play again, right? And not in a Green Bay Packer uniform, it would appear. Sounds like he wants to go over to the New York Jets. I don't was it directly quoted him saying that more or less? He right? said that on Pat, he said on Pat he, McAfee. He wants to go there. Now it's just up to the Jets and the Packers to figure it out. So mm-hmm. I'm assuming, I'm just assuming it's going to happen. Obviously, that shakes up the AFC East, weakens the NFC even more so. So now I really think it'll become more of a three-team race in the NFC between, you can say, Philly, Dallas, and we'll see how the 49ers are with whoever their starting quarterback is going to be. But to me, this the NFC wide open for the taking. You have your teams like Minnesota, Detroit, 
you know, they're kind of waiting in the wings. Seattle's a little bit of a sleeper, but to me, it's really a three team top heavy race in the NFC. And yeah, it'll be really interesting who comes out because I don't, I don't think there's, there's really any parity in the NFC. Now you look at the AFC, looking, look at the AFC East now, you know, two is coming back. Like we said, they picked up his fifth year option. You got Josh Allen coming back, obviously, and now Aaron Rodgers adding to that team. You know, really all they were missing was a quarterback. They were winning, what, they won 9, 10 games with Mike White, Joe Flacco, and Zach Wilson rotating between the three of them, right? Robert Sala did an excellent job, I think, with that defense. You know, Sauce Gardner, they got Quinn Williams up front. That is a scary defense, and adding Aaron Rodgers to a really young offensive core, you know, Garrett Wilson. We'll see if Brees Hall comes back healthy for the start of the year. That's a scary team. They got talent and you add a guy like Aaron Rodgers. The only thing would be how is Aaron Rodgers going to fit with young guys? You know, they did bring over Alan Lazard. So there's some familiarity there. And we know Aaron Rodgers, once he likes a guy, he's willing to, you know, stick to them. We've seen Randall Cobb for example. So he must have a lot of faith in Alan Lazard. I think I'm a little worried now as a Dolphins fan, I guess I'm a Dolphins fan for the foreseeable future. Right. So a little bit worried just because it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, a little bit worried, honestly, you know, that defense is already a top five defense in the NFL. Now you add Aaron Rodgers, who can still play to a team that's hungry. Right. And it's going to be interesting. The AFC has a lot of good quarterbacks now. We'll see how that pans out. But, yeah, Matt, did you want to say anything on this one before we move on? Well, I think it's it's interesting that Rodgers wants to go to the Jets. And I say the main reason is because of who the OC is. So Nathaniel Hackett, the ex-Broncos head coach last year, goes to the Jets now. But, again, he was the guy who was the OC for Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. That's the whole reason why I think Denver hired Nathaniel Hackett in the first place. They didn't even really care about you know, the football background. They just knew he had a personal relationship with Aaron Rodgers. So maybe this is, this is what the Broncos were trying to do last year. So I think it's really interesting that Rodgers, you know, he's willing to, to go to the Jets, work with Nathaniel Hackett, and try to make it work. But you know, they're trying to bring the the Green Bay Jets, I don't know, with Alan Lazard, maybe Randall Cobb goes over there, or what is his other tight end that he likes? Um, is it Lewis? Mercedes, Mercedes Lewis. Lewis. Yeah, I heard some rumors about that. I was like, ooh, like I don't know about that. To be honest, if I was a Jets fan, like I'm glad Aaron Rodgers wants to play with me, but I can't be just bringing in guys like Randall Cobb, Mercedes Lewis, just to please Aaron Rodgers. Like, no offense to those guys, but they've had nice careers, but it's it's past their time, I think. You know, you got a young core with Garrett Wilson. I like the Alan Lazard pickup. I think he's still got game left, a veteran receiver to kind of, you know, maybe get and the young guys accumulated really too. He's not that old either, so. Yeah, but I think having him kind of getting familiarity with the younger guys, with Aaron Rodgers is, is important, knowing how he likes to operate. So I think that's smart, but I would I would be really really cautious 
if I was the Jets on, you know, again, giving Aaron Rodgers the power because we already saw what happens in Green Bay. He gets everything he wants and he's still not going to be happy. So you got to be able to meet some kind of happy medium. But yeah, I don't know. If I was a Dolphins fan like you, I'd be a little worried. But I honestly wouldn't be too worried. It's the Jets. I feel like they're, they're just, it's just the Jets. I don't know. Something... <laughs> Something is it's I mean, the there's Jets. definitely reason, reason I mean, the, to worry. They have but... Mark Sanchez and the butt fumble. I mean, this it's the Jets. <laughs> yeah, a little bit That's worried, weird. but it's not like Miami didn't do anything, right? Talk about Jalen Ramsey. So yeah, I'm a little bit worried, but still still confident in that. But let's move on. Uh there are a bunch of running backs kind of shifting around, getting signed everywhere. So I'm gonna run through some of these running backs so miles sanders gets out of the nfc east goes over to the panthers i'm sure yeah i was gonna say i'm sure you're happy about that he had a solid year for them he was a running back one in that run heavy system he gets paid now goes over to carolina to kind of replace the you know uh christian mccaffrey void jamal williams right had a great year in detroit touchdown machine over there he goes over to the saints kind of be rb2 in the tandem Alvin Kamara, uh, Alexander Madison. I think that's a big pickup for the Vikings to re-sign him because, you know, as we see, Dalvin Cook will go down two, three, four games in a season, and Alexander Madison is right there to fill the hole when needed. And, I mean, Dalvin Cook, he's sounds like the rumors are he's getting shopped around a little bit. So who knows? Maybe Minnesota willing to lead with Alexander Madison as RB1. I guess we'll have to find out there. And I think there were a couple recent signings that happened today as well. So Damian Harris, I believe, went over to the Bills, who, uh, you know, they because they lost Devin Singletary to, I believe it was the Texans. Texans. So the Houston right. Texans get uh, Devin the motor, Singletary, as they called him up there in Buffalo. I liked him, just didn't seem like Buffalo's offense catered to their running backs as much as they should have as we talked about right all season long last year need to give josh allen a little bit of a breather we'll see how the damian harris thing works out you know he stayed in division and i i like damian harris but it was um ramondre stevenson's time to shine as rb1 in new england i really like him looks like he's gonna be the solidified you know, workhorse there in New England. So a lot of running backs kind of shifting around different pieces. Um, out of all these, I would have to say the Miles Sanders one, probably the biggest signing. He's probably the biggest name out there. So I don't know. It kind of leaves the Eagles in an interesting spot now as who their RB1 is going to be. This I believe they still have Boston Scott and Kenneth Gainwell on the roster. I think they said Gainwell, as of now, is the lead back. To start the season, but obviously that's going to change with the with the draft coming up. Right, right. Well, as of we'll now, see. it's Gainwell. We'll see who they pick up. Gainwell, I thought he performed pretty well for them in the time that he got touches. Boston Scott kind of like that Jamal Williams role. He's just like a touchdown machine. He just sniffs out the end zone somehow. He's so small though, but he's he is, just yeah. He he's like he's a, a good more player. Muscular Darren Sproles kind of player. You know, he's a solid guy. He'll give you grit. And will definitely he plays bigger than his size, right? So you always want guys like that on your roster. 
But you must be a little bit relieved that Miles Sanders is gone, at least, right? Yeah. I, I yeah. Honestly, yes and no. I'm a little more upset about the guy that they said they were going to release and ended up bringing back. Right. Okay. This well, let's one get kind of, to that. This right one, away. this one ticked me off a little bit. Let's get to that right away. So there were two, you know, secondary signings in or for the Eagles, secondary free agents, I should say, for the Eagles that were rumored to be going. One being Darius Slay and the other being uh, CJ Gardner Johnson, I believe. So one ended up leaving, but one they ended up bringing back. And you could argue the one they brought back, the more talent, uh, talented, but pro- maybe more effective piece. Right, so they bring back Darius Slay, and Matt was pretty excited when he heard they were going to release him. Turns out they cut him, but then they re-signed him. I think that's what happened, right? So yeah, he gets a big bag. Uh, let's see here, how much did he get? Three years, forty-two. Three years, forty-two. Forty-two million. million. So that's a pretty big, big price. Maybe you know they took a look. Hey. Dallas signs Stephon Gilmore. We got to bring back our secondary, right? We we can't be letting up in this arms race. So, Howie wrote is it Howie Roseman, right? The yeah, Eagles. Howie Roseman said, "You know what? I'm bringing back the big guns. We're going for it again. NFC is wide open. So you must be a pretty bummed about that one because he big play Slay is back in the NFC East. Gonna I would imagine be following." AJ or not AJ Brown, CD Lamb around. So you mu- you can't be too happy about that one. I'm not happy, but hey, at least we countered with Brandon Cooks. But that that's why you get, you know, two, three solid receivers. Michael Gallup should be another year removed from ACL injury. I expect bigger things from him this year coming off of that. So I don't know. Maybe we got a new trio in Dallas to match up with that. But yeah, Slay Slay is a, he's a tough one. He's definitely one of the better torn one of the better corners in the league. And that's Cooper Rush's kryptonite. So a little worried about that one. Okay. Well, s- since we're on the Eagles, we'll bring up our boy that you d- brought up earlier, right? Marcus Mariota going over to the Philadelphia Eagles. Oh, I guess he's not your boy anymore. Like we said. Oh no, he he betrayed me. He he's betrayed the enemy me now. He's, he's a traitor. Going- so from one bird to another. Upgraded on teams at least, right? He he'll be on. He a, did not. Oh he'll yeah, be on a Falcons. winning team. Falcons. That's no, yeah, <laughs> yeah. That's definitely an upgrade. Falcons. You know, even just as an organization, at this point, the Falcons kind of have the reputation. Falcons, Chargers. It's just they're kind of cursed as the chokers of the league right now until one of them can shake the monkey off their back. But he goes over to a good situation. I think one year, eight million dollars. As a backup, or up to $8 million, I should say. Hey, I think that's a great deal for him. I still, I'm maybe I am a little bit biased, but I look at some of these quarterbacks and some of these systems. He's like a borderline starter in this league. I still feel that way. He'll, he'll never be one of the elite, you know, top 5, 10, 15, maybe even quarterbacks. But you put him in a right system with some pieces around him, and that team can win. I'm he kept the Falcons afloat, you know, for all the you know stories that 
they were going to be tanking for the first pick. He's the tank commander going into the season. But, hey, he kept them around 500 for a majority of the season, you know, battling through injuries, battling through the negative comments from media and fans. That's hard to do, right? So I, I give him some props. He He hung tough. We'll get to see how the season really played out in the documentary coming out this summer. But sounds like he's embracing the backup role for Jay, you know, backup to Jalen Hurts. I think this is a really good move on both sides. Marcus finds a place where he can, you know, be in a system that utilizes his skill set if he ever does have to play. And, you know, you probably don't like this, but on the Philadelphia side, we saw Jalen Hurts go down at the end of the season. And Gardner Minshew came in, did okay, but didn't really fit that system that Philly wants to run on offense. Now, you know, you lose Jalen Hurts for a couple games. I think this is one of the best quarterbacks that you can have as a backup at that position. Someone that can, Marcus still has his legs. He even looked this year, other than his rookie year, might have been the best I've seen him run. I don't know if it's that's because he got two years to rest up in Vegas or whatnot, but he was explosive when he had the ball in his hands. He was moving really well, you know, so unfortunately for you, Matt, I think this is a good move for Philly. You probably agree with that, at least for, you know, a football standpoint. You might not cheer for them, but, you know, you can see how the the fit is is good for both both sides. Yeah, I have to, you know, unbiasedly have to agree with you there. And kind of going back to the theme of backups, as a, as an organization, as a GM, you know you have your starter, but you always want to find a backup that fits how your starter plays in the way that you know he likes to throw the ball, or in this case, maybe throw and run. What kind of playbook does he like to run best? And for Jalen Hurts, what? I don't even know if you could find a better backup fit than Marcus Mariota. You really don't change your offense at all. You touched on Gardner Minshew filling in. Not quite the runner that Marcus is. Maybe he's a little bit better passing, but the Eagles, that offense with Jalen Hurts, it's not the same if the quarterback can't run. Like Jalen Hurts sitting in the pocket, yeah, if I'm an opposing team, that's exactly what we want him to do. But if he's running around, scrambling, running read options all day, like that's when they're at their best, and you don't change a thing schematically with Marcus being in the lineup. But, you know, as we always talk about, you know, being that Marcus is from Hawaii, we always want him to succeed. And if we look down the future, it is a one-year contract. One-year contract. So let's just say for the sake of argument, Jalen Hurts misses, you know, three, four games. Marcus comes in, maybe goes three and one, plus okay do you think he has a chance to be a starter again in this he, league? He'll, he'll have a next chance season? to be a starter, but he's going to have to prove it at a certain point, right? I think now the thing is he's kind of maybe can be a Ryan Fitzpatrick-esque kind of role. You know, has juice for a couple games, but consistency has been kind of an issue throughout the career. Are teams willing to take a chance? At least the bright side, he is only... 30, you know, turning 30 years old this year. So he's still relatively young. I mean, he's not an old 36, 37-year-old quarterback now. We saw what happened to Geno Smith. I think that is going to give 
a lot of hope to Marcus. I, it was a dream hope. scenario, though. That is the dream scenario, right? You land in a place you can get familiar with, play out, you know, whatever time you have really well. There's still time. You know, I think I wouldn't give up just yet. And if I'm being honest, even if he doesn't start ever again, I think he can still remain a backup in this league as long as he wants for the rest of his career. You know, backups, I mean, yeah, you're a backup. You might not get the glory, but you still get good money. You're still a part of the team, all that good stuff, right? I mean, making five $5 million a year for the rest of his, let's say, 10 more years, right? Hey, that's pretty good. I would take that. So uh, it's it's not the worst scenario for him. Obviously, he would like to start, but yeah, I, I think this is a good fit for him. I'm glad he gets to go to like a good functioning organization too. You know, not not Vegas or Atlanta or anything like that. Philly, they're they're pretty solid, so not not too concerned on that. And um, let me just wrap up some of the signings here, right? So another big one I passed over. Orlando Brown gets a big contract, four years, sixty four million dollars to the Bengals. I'm sure Joe Shiesty is happy about that one. He'll have time to throw <laughs> in the pocket for once. Look out because we all know if you just protect Joe, you, you guys have a chance. Been saying it all year. We might have to, you know, find out a little bit more about their running back situation with the whole Joe Mixon thing. Still not sure how that's going to turn out. We can get to that later as, you know, things kind of progress more. But we'll keep an eye on that one. And let's see, Adam Thielen over to the Panthers. So they replaced DJ Moore with Adam Thielen. You know, Adam Thielen, a little bit older receiver, kind of overshadowed by uh, Jay Jettis over there in Minnesota. But still a solid receiver. I'm not sure he's a number one receiver anymore like he was you know when he kind of broke out from that special teams role nonetheless i think it'll be a solid receiver for a rookie quarterback to have you know a guy with really reliable hands whoever they take up end up taking first overall will probably have adam thielen as you know a number one target down there not not the worst i think it's a good pick you know pick up for a quarterback learning the role in the nfl and then dalton schultz your ex guy Mm-hmm. goes stays in state goes to houston how are you feeling about that one matt just kind of wrap us up here i am not gonna miss him at all let me tell you that with the amount of money that he was asking for three years like 36 million dollars he turned it down he ends up losing money in this case so ah you you want to be greedy go right ahead he kind of lost us the game too played a big part of that the 49ers game so I think I had enough of that Dalton Schultz experiment. We got two solid tight ends right now at Fergie and, and Hendershot. So I'm ready to roll with the Young Bucks. I think we got a good core building in Dallas. Okay, sounds good. Yeah, it was a lot of free agent talk. I know we kind of took up a lot of time there, but we'll wrap it up here. We'll get to some basketball stuff, take a short break, and uh, yeah, we'll be right back. <laughs> Okay, so there's a lot of football talk, but it's time for basketball because we got NBA and March Madness. It's been a crazy March Madness so far. We will get to that really quick, though. Want to touch on the NBA stuff first. So we're coming down the home stretch, like we've been saying. I believe there are only 10 games left, approximately, give or take, for each team remaining in the regular season. And 
teams we've been following. Obviously, Lakers, Blazers. The West still crazy close uh, as it currently stands. You know, Golden State it does have that six seed. The Clippers have the five seed. Then we'll go down from there. So Dallas, Minnesota, the Thunder, and the Jazz right now sitting through the seven through ten play-in spots. So Lakers half a game out. We did drop a key game there. You know, talk about the Lakers first. Dropped a really, really tough game that we could not afford to drop to the Rockets. Right? Rockets, that's a tough one. That one, you know, we didn't have Anthony Davis, still didn't have um, LeBron back, but, you know, D'Angelo Russell played. And you got to beat the Rockets, right? In an important, you know, stretch like this, can't be having a game where you fall to the Houston Rockets, who there's still a bunch of young, talented guys, but still don't really play together uh, when it comes time to win. Austin Reeves, though, you know, the one bright spot, 24 points. He's kind of been our guy. And I am, I said, right, Matt, one, someone had to step up out of those those role player guys. And I really think it is time for Austin Reeves to solidify himself as the, can't believe I'm saying, but as the fourth quarter primary ball handler, decision maker, leader, and sergeant of the offense, general of the offense. Without LeBron now, you know, D'Angelo Russell, I think he is capable, but something about Austin Reeves now, when I watch him play, it's collected. It's almost vet-like. He's only been his second year in the league, but he has a composure. He has, it looks like the killer will. He's not afraid of the moment. So, you know, let, let's get to, uh, I want to get to the Magic game because, well, I mean, we can talk about the Mavs one first, actually, because I need to go off on Anthony Davis a little bit here. Uh, the last stretch that the Lakers had, you know, they're up four points, right? And up for less than a minute to go, you know, you think, all right, just don't give up a three or try not to contest the threes. Either way, you know, go down, hit your foul shots, game's over, right? Realistically, that's the NBA. That's how it always turns out. So lo and behold, right, what happens after we go up by four points? Dallas comes down. They find Maxi Kleba, foul him. And he's only been, you know, a 60% shooter. But Anthony Davis fouls him on a three-point shot. So now they have, you know, he stopped the clock, have chance to hit three free throws, go only down one. Of course, Maxi Kleba does that. So now, you know, we're only up one. Uh, We run an inbounds play. Darvin Ham and I... Anthony Davis has struggled this year in late game free throw moments. He's shooting pretty well, like 85 plus percent from the line. But, you know, you got to hit those shots in the moment to be the guy, right? We, How many times do you especially talk about this? I've, I've already kind of given up on it, you know, a while ago that I don't think Anthony Davis is going to be the guy. You keep thinking or keep saying at least he has to be the guy. 
And what is the I thing? I think you would agree too on that statement. Oh, well, I, w- I would agree. But at this point, you know, he's always going to be like a 1A. He's, he's never going to be number one to me. He's going to be, you know, the superstar that can step up. Is he the one that's going to lead this team? I still really don't know. But, you know, anyway, I was having like flashbacks to the UH games, right, where we need to hit free throws in, you know, close scenarios. At least this one, we were up one. But, you know, he misses the first one. So now best case, you know, scenario will go up two. And now Dallas has a chance to tie or win the game on the next possession. So, you know, we go ahead, hit the free throw. Dallas takes the ball, comes down the court. And we play four players on the Lakers played excellent defense, I thought. Right? Dennis Schroeder, uh, you know, stuck with Kyrie, which is really hard to do. You, you know Kyrie is going to either look for the shot or be the one playmaking. He does a really good job. He gets help. The second defender you know, comes over. I, I don't remember if it was Wenyan Gabriel or Vanderbilt or what one of those guys, but they come over and they trap Kyrie so he cannot get a shot off, right? And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, that's all we needed. I think, you know, we can trap him. They're not going to have time to get a shot off. He somehow finds a way to wrap the ball around the two guys over to a wide open Maxi Kleba. And I'm, I'm thinking as the ball is in the air flying towards him, how is he this wide open? Who is on him? You know, then he catches the ball. I see Anthony Davis sprinting to close out. I'm like, what are you doing sagging off of him that much? Ball's in the air. I'm just praying. I'm like, oh, my goodness, please. Hits the shot, goes in. And I just, I was I was pretty mad because of what that game meant. We were neck and neck with Dallas. And we win that game. You know, the winner of that game gets the tiebreaker. So now Dallas has the tiebreaker. They move two games up on us. We drop one, right? Now, as it currently stands, we're sitting outside. And just Anthony Davis, man, what happened? Like, what happened? What You can't be having lapses like that, right? Um, I'm not sure why he was drawn in so much by Kyrie when we're getting doubled. We're doubling him anyway. Like, we really have to trip what triple team him. You think... He's going to get a shot off. And at the very least, you don't leave a three-point shooter. Maxi Cleveland, he's not a great free-throw shooter, but he's known to be a catch-and-shoot big, right? Off the pick-and-pop, pick and I guess you could say. That's kind of his bread and butter. So you got to know, who, like, in the moment, what you are doing and who you're guarding. You know, if you're leave, if that's, say, Boban, for example, right, out on the perimeter, all right, you can kind of sag off of him to let him shoot a wide open three, but not a guy like Maxi Kleba. So just a complete lapse there from AD. He, he said after the game, it was his fault. That was my vent rant thing. I was pretty mad about that game because that, that was such a big game for us to lose. It That one hurt. Um, we're going to need, I don't probably going to need a little bit of help now just to make the play in. I was really holding on to hope we could make that six seed. It's going to be really tough now, I think with our schedule coming up. So can't be dropping that one there, Matt. But I want to get to one good thing before you chime in. Austin Reeves, like I said, stepping up big. I want him to be the guy now in the fourth quarter. I think he can be the guy. I mean, 35 points the other night. He has just been what we've really been needing without LeBron. And that's someone to take control of the offense and someone to kind of 
he fires up the crowd. He fires up the crowd. He's a guy that I think his teammates trust him with the ball late in, you know, late in games, coming down the stretch, clutch situations. When, you know, the Lakers had a big lead against the Magic, let that slip away. It was a tie game. Here comes Austin Reeves to come up, hit big shots. So, you know, he's always been the hustle guy, kind of a semi three-point shooter. Now he's kind of evolved, taking that step. I really, I'm serious. I want to see him, even over D'Angelo Russell, and I love D'Lo, but I want Austin Reeves running the offense now. If LeBron's not in the game, I want it to go through. Like, I love Dennis Schroeder. He's been playing well. D'Angelo Russell's still playing well. But to me, it has to be Austin Reeves because he just runs that pick and roll with Anthony Davis so well now. And so teams are having a hard time guarding it. Until someone makes an adjustment, I think that's what we have to roll with. Ooh, I could hear a lot of anger in your voice, a lot of passion. Haven't heard I a long mad, Lakers man. rant. We haven't heard a Lakers rant from you in a while, so you had to let off some steam. I did. But I do I do want to comment on let's go back, you know, a few games to the Rockets game. Not gonna really touch on the game itself, but more on the coaching staff. So you mentioned Anthony Davis doesn't play coming off of, you know, it's a back-to-back game. But my thinking is it's the Rockets and you're a team that's on the bubble. Every game counts at this point. Why is Anthony Davis not playing? Like, unless he is really hurt, he better be on the floor. <laughs> so I don't know if that's on Anthony Davis, which personally, I don't think it is, but come on, Darvin Ham. Like you got, you got to, you got to play your guys. Every game count. You're not in the one seed up seven games with 10 games to go, you know, trying to load manage everybody. Like you can load manage in the off season. If you miss the playoffs <laughs> like that, you got months to do that. If you're healthy, you should be playing, especially if you're a team that's fighting for playoff position. That's what should be upsetting. If I was you that Anthony Davis wasn't even on the floor <laughs> and he was healthy <laughs> Because you knew he played the game before. So you can't be just giving away games like that late in the season against a team that you have to beat in the Houston Rockets. But you already touched on this next point. Anthony Davis, I said he has to be the guy for you. And I think that still stands true because you're not beating good teams if he doesn't play how we think he should be playing basketball. We saw the game last, or I think it was last night. Uh, they played the Magic. Austin Reeves game, dude was phenomenal. But it's the Magic. Let's put some, you know, realistic expectations there. It's the Magic. We want to see that kind of performance against the Warriors, the Suns, a playoff contending team. And I don't want that performance from Austin Reeves. I want that from Anthony Davis. He should be the guy late in the game. You know, give me the ball. I'm going to dominate whoever in the post one-on-one. If they foul me, I'm going to go to the line with confidence and knock down my free throws. Like Anthony Davis, it's always the mo- it's the motor with him. We know he's one of the, you could say, five most physically and skillfully talented players in the NBA based on his frame. But we just don't get it consistently. And I understand your frustration. Because 
kind of sounds like a Dak Prescott, you know, <laughs> kind of situation. Very inconsistent. A guy who's highly paid, max contract guy, you know. But you you pay for what you want to get on the court in production. And if I'm paying Anthony Davis top dollars, heck, I need. I get you can have an off game. No one's gonna score thirty five points every game, but it can't be. I do good one game. I do bad the other game, then I do good the other game, then it's like there's there's really no consistency with him. And that's super frustrating to be a Lakers fan. So I don't know. This maybe the Lakers say they missed the play in, missed the playoffs, might have to reconsider options with uh, getting LeBron a, another sidekick. Cause uh it's a, that's dumb. a tough tough di- No, no, we can't hey, do that. We gotta, gotta talk get about Portland. No. <laughs> I do. Do you know how? Okay, I, we can talk about this in a little. You know how insufferable the Blazers would be to watch to have Anthony Davis and Yusuf Nurkic. Oh my goodness, that would be just torture. <laughs> that would be awful, awful. But I do want to give give props to Austin Reeves. You already touched on it briefly, but I don't know, man. He's he's turned into a solid player. Last year, kind of was that you know, hustle guy, energy guy, but he's really turned into a solid three-point shooter and a guy who can score off the dribble. And we already know that defensive tenacity is there. Not the most athletic, but he's going to play hard. And I saw some reports that he's looking for some money this summer. I think, you know, four years, 50 million. I don't know. If I'm the Lakers, I'm trying to keep him. I think you got to keep him possibly over D'Lo, to be honest. So... Yeah, shout out Austin Reeves. I love the effort. He's definitely stepping up, you know, trying to be the guy with LeBron being out. But yeah, Anthony Davis as a whole, that's that's the that's the real issue here for you. <laughs> yeah, I agree. And before we get to the Blazers, Matt, just I think Austin Reeves has kind of been one of those role players, even you could say, but really a two or three that can step up when LeBron is out. We've been trying to look for a guy like that for a while i think now you know we tried with dennis schroeder a couple years ago he left right didn't really want to stick around for that role we tried with uh russell westbrook this past year right to kind of lead that second unit but i think austin reeves is that guy from what i've seen so far and i really really hope we keep him we let you know it's kind of like not quite Alex Crusoe 2.0, but he brings that same electricity. He pumps up the crowd. He's a better shooter than Alex. Maybe better not score. as yeah. athletic per se, right? But, you know, still gritty defensively. Will give you good minutes off the bench. Even could be a potential starter if I'm being like quite honest. Maybe we start, start starting him at the two. Something to think about as we go you know, onto next season, playing him alongside LeBron, giving LeBron a break. Either way, however you want to put it, I think he's a guy I want in the game. Not afraid of the moment, right? He's a smart player. He's going to make the right basketball move. So I four years, $50 million, that's a that's a big price, but I really hope we can find a way to keep him, if I'm being honest. So, um, yeah, let's move over, though, to the Blazers. We had hope, right, <laughs> the past uh two pods that maybe they could sneak in look like maybe just maybe they could hang on and have a chance but you know 
if we're going, we'll go back to the podcast we had with Logan, right? We talked about their tough East Coast trip that they had. And ever since they went on to play Boston, they have lost six games in a row now. So, you know, the season looks more bleak by the game. They have to play the clip or sorry, they have to play Utah, who's not exactly a walkover right now. They're still fighting for a spot to get into the playoffs. So the Blazers might be cooked. Uh, Kind of the same old injury bug hits them at the wrong time. Guys can't step up without uh, Dame. I don't know, Matt. I think uh, is it time to just sit Dame or you wait till you're completely mathematically eliminated? Um, but I don't know. Dame's not leaving. I think we know that now to more if, if it's to a fault or not. He is loyal to the soil. He's not leaving Portland. I don't think Portland will be ready to give up on Dame until maybe he can't dunk anymore. I don't know. Uh, maybe till he's <laughs> yeah, old. That's the key. But I don't think you can sit up though. It's a little, little too early, too and early. They're, not I mean, math- they're not mathematically out. Like to me, right. you can play until you're mathematically anything. out. Anything can happen. It's it's the NBA. Wilder things have happened. All it takes is one game, kind of flip the switch, figure something out. But if we're looking at their schedule coming up, you know, it's not exactly a cakewalk for them. So they got to play Sacramento twice. Still, they got Memphis, Utah. OKC, New Orleans, like all these teams that are still hungry, scrapping for a playoff spot. They got the Spurs. I think that's the weakest <laughs> opponent that they have coming down the What's stretch. left of the Spurs? What's left of the Spurs. So, yeah, it's looking a little grim. I don't know what has to change with this team. I mean, offensively, they just can't put up points. It looks like they're just so Dame-centric right now. Ah. It's going to be real tough. I don't know what's going to happen. I, I, do you think they can turn it around? Well, I think they're probably cooked this year, but looking, you know, we always, I feel like we always do this with the Blazers. We're looking towards the future next season. But next season, I need to look at Anthony Simons because I think they got a star in him. We know the talent that he's kind of developed to be, but they're just, to me, there isn't that that flow yet with Ant and Dame. Like Ant, I think he's really good when Dame is hurt. Like he puts up big numbers. You know, he can run the offense. But you know, obviously with Dame back, he's gonna be you know controlling the ball. But Ant has he really developed to be an off-ball scorer? I I don't think he's there yet. Quite there yet. Not to the level that CJ was you know, at this point of his time on the floor with Dame. So that's going to be huge because if Ant cannot play off the ball, they, they can't they can't play together. One of them there's has to go. Ball. Yeah, there's only one ball. And going to go back to another point. Logan already mentioned this. I sound like a broken record for the whole time we've been doing this pod and the whole time we've been in college together. But they got to get that center out of there. I mean, he's just... Like you're paying too much for him. You're really, you're really paying too much for a lack of production. He did have a nice game, you know, this last game. They ended up losing by 15 anyway, so it doesn't really matter. But we need we need a big. We need a dominant big, not a guy who can score, but we need a guy who can play defense, 
I'll give you Anthony Davis. You oh, Anthony Davis with with Dame, no Dame. And oh, come. Shade and Sharp. I'll take it. You would take Jeremy Grant over Anthony Davis. Well, not just him. Maybe him. You give a Shade and Sharp and I don't know, Cam Reddish or something. Deal. <laughs> now, I would do that because I think maybe actually, no, you take Nurkic. You got to take. You gotta, no, no, no. You got you to gotta take Nurkic. Cancel. Never mind. Cancel it. Take, cancel take, the deal. Take, cancel the deal. Deal is off the table. Take, Deal is off the table. Never mind. I don't want it anymore. Uh, look at that. Like We're trying to make teams for the teams that we cheer for. <laughs> but yeah, I don't know. But I think on a serious note, I did like the pieces they brought in over the trade deadline. I like Thibel. I've always kind of liked him. I always like him. Yeah, you can't piece. rely on Thibel to be your starting sh- like two or three to me. He's kind of a, a role player, a guy off the bench. You know, he can spell... Your starters like spelling Jeremy Grant, but a guy who can lock down a team's number one. We already know what kind of defensive player he is. So I thought that was a good signing, but just not in the right fit to me. They need more depth there. But I think the big piece that they lost, and we both agreed that it was huge, was Josh Hart. <laughs> I think Josh Hart is such a perfect fit for any team. A three and D player, he can occasionally get you, you know. Some buckets here and there. Yeah, he can veteran, savvy player, a smart, high IQ player. Is a high, you know, he shoots three very well. And he can rebound. Yeah, and he's a great rebounder for a guard. So I think that was such a huge loss for the Blazers because they were still in it. They were literally in play in contention, chipping away at that, you know, maybe six seed potential with him. And they gave him away. And I was like, Wow, why? And you try to, oh, we're we're buying at the deadline, but we're gonna get rid of Josh Hart. He was one of the key pieces to the, why you guys were winning. <laughs> so I didn't understand that, but that one to me was kind of the the one that hurt the most. Mm-hmm. So I don't know, man. I think number one, figure out how they're gonna play Ant and Dame together, and uh, get the big guy out of there. I had enough of him. <laughs> Right. And yeah, look how good the Knicks have been playing as well, right? Without, yeah, exactly. With, Josh Hart. Uh, Josh Hart. So it's a lack of heart for the Blazers. It's hurting them right yep. now. Another broken heart season for the Blazers. <laughs> well, let's move on to some college basketball. We've been a little bit let down because of the UH men's and we had Hunter on, but the tourney still goes on. And it's March, and it has lived up to the madness, Matt. It's been pretty crazy. Like I've been saying about college basketball all year, I think this is the most unpredictable tournament that we were going to have. The parity, right? The talent, like I've, I've been talking about all season, right? Kids nowadays, they start training their skills at such an early age now right? Like bigs, let's say we can even look 15, 20 years ago, right? Bigs would never learn how to dribble, never learn how to shoot, never learn how to pass. They learn how to, you know, have some post moves and rebound the ball. Now, the talent across basketball, the past, you know, five, 10 years, even, you know, kids are getting so skilled so early. 
And you're seeing that talent get distributed across the entire nation. I really think that. And now, especially with the NIL deal, with the transfer portal rules now in effect, you're seeing the ultimate mecca, I think, of what college basketball competition could be. Right. So let's get into some of the games. Round one, we already had the craziness ensued. Right. So Furman starts it off by upsetting Virginia on. I mean, that was the a, first like third game of the tournament <laughs> on the and, first round. And just a complete miscue by the Virginia player. Right? Clark yeah. throws the ball, panics. Right, it was more of like a panic. He just kind of chucked it up to his player, hoping he would get it there. The Furman guy steals the ball, kicks it to for a three, and he hits it, and it's March. Right, chaos ensues. Oh. Kevin Harlan on the call. What else could you want? <laughs> and uh, what a way to kick off the tournament, right? So, I mean, unfortunately, I think Furman is out now, though. Right, they didn't get to move on. <laughs> so, unfortunately, they they um came up short but let's get to a you know one of the cinderella seeds of this tournament and that's the good old ivy league boys of princeton so they are on to the sweet 16 first of all they took down arizona which i think a lot of people had as you know a one of the favorites to win it all with how they had looked this year. Here comes Princeton, you know, coming along, upsetting them. Uh, they also took down – who did they take down? Um, they beat uh, – who did they beat? Missouri. Missouri. So they beat – Kind of handled them pretty Missouri, easily. Handled them in 15. They have a tough test against Creighton. I mean, all the teams left now are pretty good, I would say, you know, once it gets down to the Sweet 16. All the teams are pretty good. But, yeah, to upset Arizona in that fashion, then keep the momentum going. Because that's the thing, right? A lot of the Cinderella teams, it's, you know, college basketball, so many different things can happen. It can be the other team is having a bad shooting night. You're having an, ex an outstanding shooting night. It could be, you know, more or less some of the calls go your way. Some of them don't. The ball bounces your way off the rim. Sometimes it doesn't. And that's why a lot of Cinderella teams, it's like, oh, it's a great story. And then they get bounced out in the second round. Or they, oh, you know, they look really good. And then it kind of fall, you know, tapers off. Princeton, they look pretty good so far. We'll see how long they go. Uh, but, yeah, they have a tough test against Creighton. But the real shocker, right, which oh we need goodness. to get to. <laughs> Farley Dickinson. We are now who um, <laughs> two out of the past three tourneys have witnessed a 16 seed beat a one seed, right? Uh, I believe who is it? Oh, you UMBC, UMBC beat Virginia. beats Virginia, right? And wait, was that two years ago or was that three years ago? Might have been three years ago now. No, I think it was actually longer. Maybe like five years ago. Was it but that long? still, it feels still like... relatively. Oh, you're recent. right. 2018. Wow. Um, and that I mean that was a complete shocker because UMBC smashed Virginia. It wasn't even close, right? So that was a 20 point win. Oh, I can't believe 
five years ago. It didn't feel like that long ago. But yeah, five years now. Um we have a 16 seed beating a one seed. And they were, I mean, Farley Dickinson shocked because they didn't like the size of their players versus, you know, uh Purdue. It was like they had guys that were like our height out there playing <laughs> against, you know, six five, six six. Uh, Zach Eady in the middle. So and you know they so they shocked the world. Purdue even being a one seed, a lot of people like them going all the way. There goes that, you know, boilermaker train right there. And um unfortunately they had they were still in it against Florida Atlantic. They had a chance, you know, they kept it close. Just uh FAU was able to pull away. It's still nonetheless a great story. I think it gives a lot of hope to you know teams and schools now recruiting hey you can go to a 16 seed school and upset a big number one so i think that really helps um yeah matt it's just been it's been a crazy tournament we lost duke you know the reigning champs kansas is out now uh and then michigan state upset shaka smart and marquette it's just been absolute madness um I want to get your take on the tourney so far. What do you think has, why do you think everything's going so crazy now? It's March. That That's why everything <laughs> goes crazy. But I, there's no, by the way, no perfect brackets remain after mm-hmm. around the 32. So I don't think that's a shocker to anyone. But the upsets to me have been at least the ones that I've watched. I didn't really watch the, the Farley Dickinson Purdue game. But I know that Farley Dickinson, they said on the scouting report, they were playing with tempo. We weren't really letting Zach Eady kind of get set in the paint. Like they were trapping him, just really causing havoc with their their lack of size and using their speed. But I look at that Furman game and then Virginia. We always know Virginia, kind of like San Antonio S, very fundamentally sound, not going to beat themselves. And for Virginia, it was like a, like, oh my goodness, where did this come from? Kihei Clark, dude has been in college forever. He was on the national championship team like five years ago, six years ago. So that's how you know he's old. But for him to throw that ball up with that much time left, one, he had a timeout. Two, there was a guy on the right wide open. So you had two options there. You take the worst one. And as soon as he threw it away, I was like, oh, my God, he's going to hit this three. <laughs> and sure enough, it went in. And then Princeton against Arizona. I watched that game down the stretch. They were taking away Oscar Tubelas, the guy for Arizona. So it was to me, it's like these higher-seeded teams, you know, the big blue bloods, they just were they were crumbling under the, the pressure. It was like the underdogs, could, they could taste it. They knew they had them. And for an underdog to stay in the game, that's exactly what you don't want to do if you're a top seed. Because that's when all the pressure gets to you. And, you know, even for the best fundamentally sound teams like Virginia, that <laughs> you can't really practice for that. So that's what I've noticed. But I want to talk about my bracket a little bit. So I said on the last pod, my final four teams, 
I am down to two. Not looking so good right now. I lost Duke, which is a team that I was really confident in. They got kind of manhandled by Tennessee, and I lost Kansas, the defending champs. So I'm not looking great right now. At least I got Alabama and Houston. I think they were my two finalists too. So I'm crossing my, my fingers right now, though. Hopefully, at least one of them makes it to the final four at this rate. What we're seeing, but yeah, I, this tournament has been unreal. I will say though, I was right about Creighton. I said that was a Cinderella team, a lower seed to look out for. They could be dangerous. They're playing Princeton now in the Sweet 16. No disrespect to them, but they are the higher seed. They should take care of business if we're expecting that. So I would think they would at least get to the Elite Eight. But yeah, this this tournament, I don't even know. But I will say, talking about the Sweet 16, there was one matchup that I'm really looking forward to, and that's Gonzaga versus UCLA. I think this is the matchup of the Sweet 16 going into this round with Drew Timmy and Jaime Hawkins kind of leading the the charge, the two All-Americans. To me, one of the, you know, two out of the best 10 players in college basketball this season. I'm a huge fan of UCLA's team and their game. So I'll be cheering for them against Gonzaga. We already know. We don't like Gonzaga at all. Yep. So I don't know. They got, this is, this is going to be a very interesting tournament. I will say. I just want my bracket to not do so bad. That's kind of what I'm cheering for. Yeah, Duke Duke is gone, so eh, whatever. But yeah, kind of just hoping Alabama and Houston make the final four just to see I got some teams in. Because my bracket is not... I didn't even look at my bracket. I just know it's terrible right now. <laughs> yeah, I really like how... I think Alabama is so far is my favorite to win it all. But yeah, we'll see. It is March. But... You know, Matt, before we completely end our basketball talk, we got to talk about the women's, our women's teams. Unfortunately, neither of them made it out of the first round. But I must say, you know, you know, at least the UH uh, women's team, they held their own. They were competitive yeah, they did. for most of the game. You know, they got down early. Second and third quarter, though, they kept it close. I think one possession difference each quarter. And then, you know, LSU kind of pulled away there at the end. But, hey, I was proud of how the Wahine played. I believe it was uh, – who was our best player? Wahine Kaku, I think, right? She probably yeah, had her best she's game. she's their best player. So, I mean, she was kind of helping them. Just kind of unfortunate we ran out of shots to fall, it, it seemed like, on offense. I mean, you can only do so much with Angel Reese – uh, of LSU there not to mention it's not like the men's tourney where it's you're all playing at neutral sites this one you're playing at LSU it's a road game it's a road, road game. game so going in that environment I was proud of how uh the Wahine played played tough defensively just couldn't quite get a flow together offensively in the fourth when we needed it but Hey, I mean, now that's what back-to-back um, conference championships. So something to look forward to in the future. You know, at least we'll always have UH women's to cheer on, Matt. The men's, <laughs> we'll see how we'll see how it goes uh, on the men's side. But 
who knows, maybe hopefully this will start turning into a pretty common theme for the UH women's basketball. So that's something to look forward to. And then our, our alma mater, uh, Portland, they got kind of roughed up against Oklahoma, but Oklahoma right now looks like a really good team. I believe they're also on to the sweet 16. So their team looks pretty good. Still nothing to hang your head about. Uh, I believe that's two in the past three years for the UP women's uh, women pilots team. So, Hey, nothing, no, nothing to hang your head about there. Hopefully they're building something good up there. It can bring in recruits and uh, keep the winning ways going because, you know, kind of similar to the UH men's, the UP men's basketball team, at least since we were in school have not. They regressed uh, a little bit this year. Yeah. They regressed a little bit. So we'll have to see uh, how, how it goes there, but yep. We'll, we'll be updated on March madness and things to come in the next pod by then i think it'll be the elite eight by then it'll be or maybe 16 we should have the final four we'll have the final final four four next week so it'll be an interesting team and we can all see how math brackets played out but other than that let's end our basketball talk and then get to our last world baseball classic discussion so stick around Okay, Matt, we just finished watching the conclusion of the World Baseball Classics, so we decided to delay talking about it until today, and I'm glad you suggested that because it was definitely worth it. Could not have waited a week to talk about um, the final today, but let's kind of recap the tourney as a whole before we get to today's game. So I guess we can follow the mainly the two finals teams, but we'll talk about, you know, the kind of surprises and things that kind of transpired during this tournament. So early, right, we we're discussing favorites and who we liked and looking at the Dominican Republic's team just on paper. Probably the best team on paper throughout this tournament definitely had the biggest names, superstars across the board, every position, just talent everywhere. Lo and behold, they don't make it out of the group stage. I think that was probably (laughs) the biggest shock of the group stage. But, you know, looking back, the Venezuela team, as well as the Puerto Rico team, all had good players as well. It's just the all-stars and all, you know, MLB talent that the Dominican Republic had, you would think, there's no way they don't make one of the top two seeds out of the groups. But, you know, that's why it's baseball and that's why you play the games, right? Because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much talent you have. It's who shows up, uh, who can hit, hit and who's going to pitch well. So, unfortunately, we didn't get to see the big names move on from the Dominican Republic. But I think Venezuela and Puerto Rico definitely provided excitement, um, you know, going forward through the um quarterfinal rounds so that'll bring me to one of the points that we can talk about a little bit later just regarding players and should they play should they not play because there were quite a few injuries that occurred along the way in this tournament unfortunately you hate to see it right but the Mets took it pretty bad 
right? So they lost Edwin Diaz for six to eight months. Sounds like he's going to be more than likely done for the season. He's done for the year. So that's a big loss for the Mets, who are definitely in that win-now mode, right? You lose their closer, one of the best closers in baseball at the moment. It's going to be a big loss for them, you know, in the regular season and especially come postseason time. And we also, another big one was uh, Jose Altuve broke his hand, right? He's out two months for, for the start of the season. So pretty big names going down throughout this tournament, Matt. And we'll get to it later, but, you know, it was just unfortunate to see some of those things kind of dampers the whole mood around the tournament. But I think overall it was a pretty, it, I would say it was a success, you know? Um, another shocker. I would say kind of surprised people was Cuba definitely making it all the way to the semifinal round. I don't think a lot of people had them quite honestly, even coming out of their pool and then they beat Australia in the quarterfinal, who was also a kind of surprise team. So, you know, props to Cuba, but they kind of just got outgunned against the U S in that semifinal round. The bats just showed up and, it, it was a little bit of a David versus Goliath matchup there, but, you know, U.S. flexed its muscles a little bit. Perfect time to start heating up before, you know, going into the championship round. So I was pretty excited about that. Then you look at the other side, right? Japan arguably had the harder bracket because they were going to get Puerto Rico or Mexico, right, coming out of that side in the semifinal round. And, yeah, it was, I mean... I want to talk about that semifinal game first because, quite frankly, Japan was in probably two of the best games of the whole tournament, right? That semifinal game against Mexico come from behind fashion. And you're not going to like it, Matt, but you're going to be seeing a lot of a certain Japanese player on, you know, in red that might give you guys some trouble. I don't know how excited you are. Uh, facing, is it Yoshida, right? So, uh, Masataka, Masataka Yoshida, he arguably the second best hitter throughout the tournament. You know, for Japan, Shohei was just getting on a ridiculous amount, and we will talk about Shohei obviously. But you know, the top half of the Japan roster, Lars Nubar, uh, Kondo, and Yoshida along with Otani, really carried the load through most of it. I think Yoshida had 13 RBIs, right? He led but the WBC in RBIs this tournament. WBC in RBIs, so, you know, props to him. It was a great way, I think. I think Red Sox fans are going to be encouraged by this tournament, right? Because it's always a gamble signing players that aren't, you know, don't have any MLB experience at all. And especially when you're signing players to a five-year, $90 million contract, that's a pretty big investment, right, for not playing against MLB-level talent, you could say. But this tournament, man, he showed up, showed out, and really had the hit of the tournament. So just re going back to that game, right, you're down two and, you know, late in the game, like, that's the dream scenario for any hitter to be in. And Japan got their hottest hitter up there. 
And, you know, he hits the three-run home run to basically pump life back into the Japanese team. Because as I was watching the Mexico versus Japan game, obviously I was cheering for Japan. I wanted them to make it versus the U.S. And then it's like, uh, there's no real winner or loser for me. I would be happy either way. But it was looking like, oh, man, I guess Mexico is going to go against the U.S. And Mexico had already beaten the U.S. this tournament. So, like, oh, man, this is going to be a tough matchup. And the reason I was really kind of negative throughout the game was in the fifth and sixth inning, right? Japan had bases loaded, back-to-back innings, couldn't score a single run. And typically when it comes to tournament or playoff baseball games like this, right? When you have your opportunities don't and don't cash in, not even a single run, you leave six men on back-to-back innings, can't push over one run. Usually that's it. That's all she wrote, right? So I was pretty worried. I don't know, Matt. Were you th- I'm sure you're probably thinking something similar. Um, or did you not so, watch? You didn't watch. I watched. Game, huh? I watched this game. Oh, so you were cheering for Japan, but I was cheering for Mexico. <laughs> but more on the on the side of I want the U.S. to win, and I was like, who's going to be an easier matchup for the U.S. in the finals? Obviously, I Japan. They're the champs now, but I thought U.S. Matching up with Mexico would have been a better matchup for them on paper. So I was like, okay, I hope Mexico can kind of shock the world here and pull off this upset. So I was like, okay, everything's pretty good. Like Japan, they couldn't get the big hit, the timely hit. Um, Mexico was able to get the lead early, all off of two out hits, single, single, and then the home run. So I think that was really like, the table setter from Mexico. They were able to get the lead early, knock Sasaki out of the game, who will be a Yankee in about six or a Dodger or a Dodger or a Dodger. five, six years. Roki Sasaki, I don't know, man. Sounds pretty good in pinstripes to me. But yeah, they were able to knock him out. So I was pretty encouraged cheering, you know, for Mexico. And really, you know, throughout the whole game. And even when Yoshida hits the home run, like I thought Japan was gonna strike there was no way they were just gonna like get shut out or fold they were gonna rally and i kind of expected something to happen maybe not in that dramatic of a fashion a huge hit though man and it's like the way that he hit it too right it was a i think that was low, a ball honestly low it was like up it was down down and in down and in pitch just a great piece of hitting it was like, a golf swing almost golf swing but it was just <laughs> Perfect. He caught all barrel. Yeah, just what a hit in that moment. <laughs> and then I was when you're watching the broadcast, they showed the camera view, and then I don't know who was it. Joe Davis calling the game. It was yeah. right. Yeah. So then he was like, "It's gone." I was like, "Where's the ball?" I didn't even see it. <laughs> they didn't even show the the reaction or where the ball hit, but they said it hit the foul pole. So that's like. You know, the foul pole is only so big, right? So you're a couple inches away from being a foul ball. <laughs> and who knows what would have happened after that. So just the little things in baseball got to take into account the beauty of that. But Mexico, they're 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 legit, mm-hmm. I think. They're scrappy. And I don't think you can you can talk about Mexico without acknowledging another nemesis of mine. Mr. Arosa Reina. Yeah, he, he kind of took this tournament by storm. Heck of probably more than than Otani, to be honest. Like, if it wasn't for Japan winning, like Arosa Reina, 
I mean, for people that watch Major League Baseball, we already know what he does on the big stage in the clutch you know, as well. Coming in as a yep. So I'm he's just, he he really is like a postseason, you know, big game player. He kind of coasts through the regular season, and then when the lights shine brightest, man, he he he's a dog, and yeah, I'm kind of sad that he's in Tampa Bay because that's the kind of guy you you root for, and you don't want to play against him because he's kind of a nuisance <laughs> with his attitude, his swagger. But he had an outstanding tournament. Um, yeah, yeah. So I I gotta tip my hat to to the way that he played these last two weeks. I agree. And then, you know, I I even after that though, even after the big three run home run, sure enough, what does Mexico do? Right, comes back, scores two runs in the top of the eighth. Rosarena started it. Yep, yep, huge. Right, so we always talk about in baseball, right? You want that shutdown inning. Right after you have a big rally, the next inning is the most important. Right, you can't allow the team, the opposing team, to you know get any momentum back because you really. You take the air out of them that next half inning, then the mo- momentum and the feeling, that feel, right, completely shifts to your side. But to Mexico's credit, they they were scrappy and they got, you know, two more runs in the top of the eighth. I thought that was really important was for them. But, you know, looking back now, this is hindsight, of course, but they ended that inning, right, w- with the runner being thrown out at home. And so you're thinking, right, two runs. Oh, that's 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 a pretty safe lead. You got, you know, two innings to go. That's a good send by the coach. Right? I think that was a good I, send. I think that was a good send. It's just uh, Japan, and we'll talk about Japan, but, you know, their fundamentals is what they're known for, right? Perfect relay, hit the cutoff, perfect throw home, gets the guy out at home. And so it's the little things like that that Japan does so well, I think, really – pays off for them in the long run and important games like this, because really that third run gets pushed across. That's a three run lead with two innings left. Then the, the mentality really shifts, you know, between three, three and two runs. Luckily Japan does get a run back there in the bottom of the eighth inning as well. Right. So now it's only one run lead going into the ninth, right. You you're able to stop Mexico. They don't score any more runs. And who else would you want besides Shohei Otani just hitting somewhere in the ninth inning, right? It seemed like almost scripted. You know, he he needed to get his chance. But, I mean, he wasn't the hero necessarily in this game. But to start off the inning with a double, that just completely shifted the all the momentum. Yep, shifted all the momentum. Went out and hit. A changeup on the outside of the corner pulled it to right center, easy like like for a double. And then you know I was like, oh man, Mexico's in trouble now because I think you could kind of sense it, right? Mm-hmm. They had all the momentum. They were they were finally starting to hit Mexico's pitching after not being able to. Uh, next one is the walk, and then you know Murakami who struggled a lot throughout the tournament. He was considered like the best player from Japan going into the tournament. I mean, he's what, 23, 24 years old, and he already won. He's won two back-to-back MVPs in Japan. So he's next up, right? But, you know, I was I was watching the game and with Wade, and I was telling him, you know, if this kid 
is there there's a difference, right? We we talk about it every single sport, football, basketball, baseball. There's a difference between stars and superstars, right? And the superstars, you know, no matter how much they're struggling, they want to be in that moment. Like the Kobe's, the Michael Jordans, you know, it when it's time when the lights are the brightest, right? That's when the superstars shine. And I said, well, we're going to find out right now about this kid. Is he legit potential MLB guy? Or is he going to just be, you know, a really hyped up Japan guy? Maybe can't translate it. I was literally saying this to Wade. And uh, I remember the sequence of pitches too. Because he got the fastball, right? First pitch, fouled it off. I was like, oh, he's he was a little bit late, but I think he's seeing it now. But the second pitch he got, I think was when I knew, oh, he's dialed in. Because the second pitch was a hard, must have been a hard slider or splitter or something. Because it started, you know, just above the knees and sunk right below the zone. And he took it, right? He, you're I think dialed Gallegos, in. yeah, yeah. does a curve. It was his curve. He's dialed in on the fastball. You th- it looks, you know, out the hands, right at the knees, but you you're you can see it and it breaks below the zone. I was like, oh, he's dialed in because you know, when you're struggling, right? You're not seeing the ball too well. You're looking for a fastball to hit. You're geared up for the fastball to hit. And sometimes that can get the better of you, right? So you'll swing over it. But he took that pitch. I was like, oh man, I think he's locked in now. Sure enough, next pitch, fastball, he doesn't miss it. Goes to right, left center. Shohei scores easily. The Shuto, I think, the pitch oh, runner, the pinch runner. was flying. Oh, he blazing Had speed. a great read on the ball. I mean, he was right behind Shohei. Perfect base running, really, because, you know, in that moment, you're not going to tag up from first base on a ball hit that far the other way, right? So you take the chance. Sure enough, he sees the ball hit the wall and he's it's just blazing like Shohei is one of the fastest guys in the league as well and this guy was right on his heels like <laughs> looks like he was about to catch him and so that I was like man Japan like that's what a win and what a moment for Murakami now I'm like okay that's the stuff you want to see out of guys that, that are struggling but when it's the when the moment calls and they deliver that's how you know like that's superstar stuff so I would watch out for him too, because when he's available, I think he's gonna he'll be a really big pickup for for MLB teams as well. So, you know, all that all that drama, right, leading up into today's game. Of course, we get the Lars Nupar and the Cardinals, right? Arenado and Goldschmidt, and then of course the matchup everyone was looking forward to mm-hmm. the Trout Otani. Oh, are we gonna get it? Is he gonna pitch? You know, of course they're gonna give it to us. There's no way they don't give it to us. But, you know, obviously now we know what happened, right? Japan ended up winning 3-2. to two. Great game. But, you know, just overall, Matt, I'll give my thoughts really quick. I think it just came down to Japan. Better, a little bit better fundamentals. And I liked their pitching approach a lot against the, the U.S. hitters. And that's what we always say, right? Like, as good of a lineup you have, if you have the pitchers that execute their pitches well, sometimes that's all it takes. I mean, the U- the U.S. still had, what, nine hits, I think, to Japan's only five hits. But they couldn't piece together the big hits when it counted. 
other than, you know, Trey Turner, Kyle Schwarber. Trey Turner, by the way, I am so sick that we lost him. Um, <laughs> Is Mr. March now? He, Mr. He's March. Captain America now. I mean, just caught on fire the last three games of the tournament. Hit another big home run. Jump-started U.S. early. And I really thought that would have given them the momentum to kind of, you know, push this thing forward and keep it going. But to Japan's credit, they U.S. went pretty silent after that. That was kind of the yep. big hit. And I was I was surprised, honestly, because I was thinking, oh, man, here, like, all right, the floodgates are about to open, right? Trey Turner, time to start it off. But to Japan's credit, they didn't really, you know, let the U.S. get back to it and like I said, Murakami, he woke up, right? He was <laughs> yep. he was ready for it. And sure enough, uh Merrill Kelly threw him a fastball and he, he didn't even look at where it went either. He, he knew it was it. gone. Second deck, right center, absolute laser out of the out of the yard. So, you know, now it's one one. It's like, oh man, here we go. Now it's time for uh now Japan's floodgates are about to open, right? They get another run that inning, I believe. You know, they did get to bases loaded. I think that was Lars. He hit saw yeah, a Lars. soft ground ball to first base. He went kind of cold the past couple games after starting off really hot in the tournament. Uh, he still played pretty good defense, but that run ended up being huge that they were able to, you know, just credit to Team Japan as well, running hard, right? Uh, on a soft ground ball to first base, they were able to push a run across. Probably ended up being a the difference in that game. And so yeah. Um what do you think, Matt? Just kinda before we get to the last, you know, inning, of course, the the rest of the game, <laughs> what were your kind of thoughts and comments on it? I would say from innings one through let's say seven. It was more about what the US didn't do. So I think they had, what did you say? They had nine total hits in the game. So they outhit Japan, but they had no hits with runners in scoring position. That That's the difference in the game. Like when you have guys in scoring position, you got to score them. Japan, I mean, I know they weren't great either because they had two solo homers and then that RBI ground up by Lars, but they had a situation, right? Bases loaded, runner in scoring position. They were able to at least get a run, and lo and behold, that's the difference in the ball game. So, the U.S. just way too many wasted opportunities. Um, but to me, this was about Japan, and I think credit—I can't remember his name, the manager for Japan, Shohei's old manager. Oh, yeah. But I thought he did—he did a great job, and I don't know why guys don't do this more often. But he—he he does not reveal at all the game plan what's going forward because first off leading up to this game i think the whole world was assuming okay sasaki throws the semifinals you darvish is going to get the ball in the finals and i'm sure the u.s players are thinking oh you darvish like okay it's japan but yes you darvish is you darvish but we know who that is we, we he's been in the league for a while mm -hmm. and at the last minute it's like oh he's not starting anymore they're starting uh Imanaga, the lefty, and there's no tape on him. They don't know how, what he throws. And I think that's a great job by Japan, you know, recognizing that. And I think that was that was a key to me. 
because as we saw you Darvish in the eighth, you know, he had a little rough stretch. Obviously, Schwarber got to him for one, but, you know, it wasn't a really clean inning from you Darvish, I think. So credit to Japan being able to recognize that and use that lack of tape, I guess, to their advantage. But yeah, the U.S., way too many wasted opportunities, you know, from one innings, one through seven, you could say. Actually, I take the bet, the ninth too, but we can get into that. <laughs> yeah, so let's talk about that ninth inning. Like literally, I'm sure this will be all over baseball talk tomorrow, but you could not script a better ninth inning. I think just three to two, one run ball game. And Shohei's coming in to close for Team Japan. And Mike Trout is getting in at bat. He's due up third. So it's literally the dream scenario. What we were kind of hoping for the whole tournament. We get to see the two Angels. Well, now at least they had a chance to win a championship in this kind of scenario. Because let's get real, it's the Angels. But anyway, we, we're going to get to see the dream matchup. It's just... How is the situation going to look, right? You have um, McNeil, who is the batting champ, coming in to start off the inning. You got Mookie Betts and then Mike Trout. So we could have runners on. What, Like, you know, how is the tension and drama going to be? And it started off favorable for the U.S., definitely. Uh, McNeil, he's a pro hitter, right? That's what he's known for. That's why he gets paid. He had a great at bat. Oh, that Shohei. was an awesome. I mean, that was awesome. You know, swinging at strikes only. He saw the sliders. He's taking them, falling pitches off. It was a great at bat. Um, real professional at bat. Ex exactly what you would expect from a guy like Jeff McNeil in that situation. Gets on, draws the walk. And next up, it's, well, my guy, right? Mookie <laughs> Betts, who, you know, he had kind of been up and down throughout the tournament but he had been a pretty consistent uh hitter you know for team us in that leadoff spot looking to get on base definitely you could tell he wasn't swinging really for the fences he had two singles in that game up to that point so i thought he was seeing the ball really well just not sure what he was trying to do but you know he ends up hitting a ground ball pretty firm ground ball to right to the second baseman to double up and it's just, that's the kind of thing, unfortunately, uh, since Mookie has been a Dodger, hasn't had the big hit. He's had, you know, in that World Series bubble run, the great defensive plays, great game-changing defensive plays. But even, you know, I can't really recall uh, a hit or a moment when he has the bat in his hand where it's like, okay, Mookie, it's time. And it's, oh, okay, he's kind of gets out. Oh, okay. Oh, he just missed one. It's, you know, it's, it's kind of been. He had one. I think he had one. He had one. I don't know. I think I he had one. The first year it was um when they were playing the Rays in the World Series. As soon as they took out Snell, it was uh, Nick Anderson came in, and I think he faced Betts was the first guy, and he ripped a double. Oh, okay. down the line. Okay, yeah. That was probably his. I would say his biggest hit. Right, right. From what I can remember. Right. Oh yeah, when they took out Snell. Well, when they took out Snell, everyone started hitting. But um, <laughs> but true. Yeah, but anyway, that that's that's a good point. But I'm just saying, like you know, big time like walk-off situation or time to it's time to get the big hit to you know put our team tie tie the game or something and it's just i mean he's still a great player i have a hundred percent faith in mookie just you know in that situation you're going up against 
arguably one of the best pitchers, if not the best pitcher in all of baseball, if arguably the best player, right? And uh, he doesn't have to hold anything back. It's it's closer, Shohei. It's not, no, I have to save myself for five, six, seven innings, Shohei. It's I can come out and just pump for one inning. And, you know, Mookie, he hits a double play. Un- kind of unfortunate because it took all the momentum away from the of Team USA, right? It's kind of, okay, well, now you really need a miracle. But it really set the stage, right, for all the dramatics. And I was saying it. I was thinking it as it happened. I recorded it on my phone, like the last the last output. Is that this is arguably the greatest like in game. I know it's an exhibition game, but when are you ever going to see an at bat like this? Just what it meant for the game of baseball, you know, two of the best players. I think people won't argue two of the top five players in baseball. I would even argue two of the top three players in baseball currently at the moment, right? Going head to head in a meaningful game with their countries, you know, behind them. And it's like, this is the dream scenario. And I was just, I just had to take a moment and like, just appreciate what we were watching. Yeah, I soaked it in. I was soaked in every second of that. that. It it was really just, you know, I can't believe we're getting a Mike Trout versus Shohei Otani meaningful in-game at bat in this moment. I was just like, I got like chicken skin just like a little bit like thinking about like that might be one of the that might be the greatest non MLB at bat of all time. <laughs> like <laughs> even even MLB included, that's like one of the top at bats of all time. Um, we'll be looking back on it anyway. The bat itself, I mean, just pure filth. I thought from Shohei. I mean, he's pumping it 100, 101, 102. And how he set up Trout for that last pitch was just just disgusting, I thought. Um, you know, he he was mixing he mixed in the slider early, then he went back all fastballs, right? Four straight fastballs. Blew it by him. Blew it by him, every single one. Couple of them, you know, one just missed the corner. And it looked like he threw it so hard or pulled it or something, it like cut. It like cut. And he doesn't really his fastballs doesn't really cut, right? But one of them just cut. The other, he pulled. You could tell he was just trying to gas it up by Trout. 102, right? And so now Mike Trout is like, okay, well, if I was him, I would be sitting dead red fastball probably and try to fight off the slider. But, I mean, Shohei, full count through just the filthiest slider in that moment. That was an incredible pitch. Incredible pitch. Um, You know, you go back and watch it. It starts dead middle, exactly where the two fastball strikes were at 100, right? Starts absolutely dead middle and has such that late break on it. You know, it comes out. And it's just, I mean, I don't blame Mike Trout. That's almost an unhittable pitch. With what you had saw before that, uh, yeah, just, I was blown away. I was like, oh, my God. I I couldn't even believe. Um, first of all, Shohei to ha- have faith and throw the slider in that moment, right? But just how he set him up, to, it was just crazy. So unfortunately, Team USA did not take the win. But um, yeah, it was 
that was like a chicken skin moment. I'll never forget yeah. that, that moment. Yeah. That's like one of those think, sports moments. Yeah. <laughs> I bookmarked the entire at bat in my Twitter page so I can watch <laughs> it from time. Like the whole thing. It's like three yeah. minutes long. Yeah. Like that is unreal. But I do I do want to say something about Otani. And I thought the bat against Trout really shows the type of pitcher that he is. So I'll three through a first pitch ball, or his first fastball was 102, which is absurd, but he throws it in the dirt. And I was like, okay, he's definitely overthrowing. Like what wasn't even close. But I liked how Otani was able to kind of take some stuff off of it to me to kind of find his command. Because you yeah, obviously I'll just take like it Trout, off and I'll still throw a hundred like, by you. <laughs> Yeah, but he's throwing 98, 99, right? But I like that, you know, he recognized, okay, I'm overthrowing 102. I know I'm amped up facing Mike Trout, but I can't walk him because that, that's bad too because a guy who can steal bases and now you leave Goldschmidt up who can get exactly. a hit and just boom, game's tied. So the worst thing you can do is give up a walk. And I like that he was able to kind of gather himself, compose himself, and really find the strike zone again. Because I think that says a lot to me, being a pitcher, being able to flip that switch within a pitch. It was like instant. So I want to give props to Mr. Otani for, for really composing himself. Because I don't know how anybody could in that situation. That's a once-in-a-lifetime situation you're not going to ever get. So that was an all-time at bat. I will say, Shohei, I don't know why you didn't throw the fastball on 3-2. I mean, I wanted to see some real fireworks, you know, power versus power. So that was my only thing that I was like, <laughs> oh, why did he throw this? But I mean, he capped it off with a pretty nasty slider. So I yeah. really shouldn't be complaining. But I was like, damn, why didn't you throw, you know, a 101 mile per hour fastball and let Trump, you know, yeah. take a swing and pull it out? That would have been absolutely epic. Yeah. But yeah. that wasn't it that to remember for sure. Yeah. Um. All right. Well. Let's just recap the tournament, I guess, now. So I thought this tournament, and we talked about it a little bit before on our last pod, but I think this is great for baseball. The WBC really, and this year especially, showed me how much the game has grown. And you can even say the past 20 years, right? Um, the skill level is so much closer than it was before. And I'm just really glad because we had all the stars playing, right? It's kind of like in the Olympics, right? When the basketball, you know, before the Redeem team and the Dream team got going, it's not really the big names. We had all the stars, rep, you know, proud of their country and the fans and the viewership the games were getting just across the board. It really showed, I think, the MLB. I hope it showed the MLB that, you know, yeah, okay, ratings might dip a little bit, you know, during the regular season, but the game is so global now, you don't really need to change a ton. And we'll see how this impacts the regular season with the pitch clock and all the new rules and stuff like that. But I think the viewership was going crazy. I know in Japan, it was going, there's like 90% of the TVs were watching the World Baseball Classic in Japan. It has like multiple broadcasts on the game too. Crazy. So, so ridiculous. Like, so the game yeah. is growing. I think the tournament overall was a success. There are probably some kinks they can fix, like the formatting, scheduling, maybe do it a little bit earlier so that, you know, players can maybe choose to rest or do whatever they can, um, you know, before the regular season starts. 
that that stuff I think can get figured out. Uh, the injuries, I mean, it's kind of hard, right, to prevent injuries. But the way I see it, like you're playing meaningful baseball, getting meaningful reps in. Is it so different from playing spring training? Um, you know, because I think it's better practice. But obviously, you don't want that maybe intensity on your pitchers, right? But I don't know. I it, the the whole injury thing. I don't think um, these players are too concerned, right? If I'm being honest about getting injured, they're not worried about risking it. It's baseball at the end of the day. Yes, there's potential for injury, but it's not basketball. It's not football. Um, I'm just really glad it worked out. But yeah, Matt, I think this needs to keep happening. I think the the tournament was a success for baseball, and I'm really I'm really happy how it all played out. It was like perfect because I think it's really good for our game, and you know, gonna bring a lot of excitement moving forward. So, um, I think it's good too that the main superstars are already saying, "Yeah, I'm playing the next." tournament in 2026 Trout, mike trout already committed otani already committed i think even guys like mookie betts nolan Arenado, they're saying you know all these other guys you know come play come play for team usa like wouldn't you rather get in that bat in the wbc versus i don't know in fort lauderdale in florida exactly. in a meaningless spring training game so yeah i think with the Early commitment, I guess you could say, by like Trout, Shohei Otani, that should encourage you know big name guys to to come out for this next tournament. So I think it's going to be just as good, if not better, in twenty yeah twenty twenty six is the next one. Yeah, I agree. It it's it's really good. I'm looking forward to the next one already. And yeah, really, I mean now I'm excited for baseball season. I just have to watch the regular <laughs> season now, but. You know, it, this this got me real excited. Um, I want playoff baseball now. <laughs> maybe maybe we gotta watch the Angels since you know we gotta oh, show okay. him Mike Trout. Well, <laughs> I'll watch my show pitches, but that's about it. Um, yeah, but as regards to the World Baseball Classic title or the World Series title, I I think we both know the World Baseball Classic is nice, but as a MLB player, you want that World Series ring, right? Like you want that. It it's like the Olympics, right? You're going to take an Olympics or a finals trophy. I'm taking a finals trophy over the Olympics <laughs> trophy. No offense, but like, I love our country. You know, I'd love to compete for our country, but uh, I think that winning it in your profession just hits a little bit different, right? Um, you don't have to, especially for the MLB or I should say the American baseball players. I think the foreign country guy, like even Luca said, he would rather win a, like that gold medal for the Olympics versus the NBA title, but he's a foreigner. He's from Europe. So I think it hits different with those, you know, the Europeans and obviously people from Japan coming over. Right. So, but yeah, the World Series, man, that's Aaron Judge. Aaron Judge was right. He didn't play the WBC because he's committed to the Yankees. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, they could have probably used Judge. That would have been, that would have completed their outfield. That would have been Trout, Betts, and Judge. Whew. They would have had been... Harper, but if he, he yeah. had surgery. So oh, that would have been already right. an all-time classic outfield. That's right, too. Um, but yeah, overall, Matt, really good. I think all of baseball is very, very happy. Rob Manfred, I'm sure he was a little worried, but I think it turned <laughs> out really good for him. So that was a good one. That was a good discussion, Matt. I'm glad we, we got to talk about it. Good call on waiting until today uh, for that one. But, but why don't we wrap up the rest of our pod here? Um, you can give us our sports fact of the day. 
All right. So March 21st, sports fact. So let's take it back to 2019, where Ichiro Suzuki finished his career two years ago today. And he had a total of 4,367 hits combined with Japan and the MLB, which is absurd. So that's more of a tribute to Team Japan winning the WBC, one of the GOATs, Ichiro. But also, before we end, I have a note here, but I want to shout out my friend and AGA teammate, Jared Fuji. You're being our number one supporter. We love all our fans, but he was a guy that has been committed from us for us really? since day That's one. Dope, so yep. Dude. He 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 was able to follow the clips and he was like quizzing me on all this stuff. So I was like, wow. That's he gets a special shout out from the fan. Shout out to Jared. Added. I want to meet him now. <laughs> thanks, bro. I appreciate you supporting. Um but yeah, thanks, Matt. That was that was a good way to end the pod. We'll be back next week to talk. Uh, some college basketball, so stick around for that. Till then, everyone, take care. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you later.